morning friends and welcome to St Matthew's on this wintry morning it's really good to see you here uh, I once arrived at church and the person at the front said something like welcome to the fridge uh, it's not quite that bad today just yet it, it is still autumn but it's good to see you in our first hymn amongst other things we call on God to hear our prayers and we will be praying to him this morning and help us to always sing his praise so we've got an opportunity to do that now as we sing this song Let's sing together, Christ is made the sure foundation. Please be standing.
always take your seats. And uh, I'll lead us in prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've brought each one of us here this morning. We thank you for making yourself known to us in Christ, so we have no need to be without hope in this world. We confess that we do not always thank you as we should, and that though we love you, we do not always bring honour to your name. So we thank you that we come here this morning trusting in your mercy and your grace in Jesus. So help us to express our thanks and praise as we come together this morning to hear your word, to sing of your glory, and to pray to you. Amen. Well, welcome again. A very well walk. A very warm welcome to you if you're with us for the first time here at St Matthew's, whether in person or online. It's wonderful to have you joining us. Uh, my name is Andrew Graham. I'm one of the ministers here at St Matthew's. Well, after the last two weeks uh, of dwelling on the bad news for the human race about our frailty, our perversity, our sin, uh, today we turn to that part in Romans which... which um, opens up a long exposition of the good news of Jesus Christ. Good news of Jesus for needy, sinful people like us. And Scott Petty will be preaching this morning. Uh, we'll also be praying about uh, other matters uh, close to home and further afield. Martin will be leading us in prayer. And towards the end of the service, we'll be sharing together in the Lord's Supper. So that's just a cue for you if you're at home to make sure you've got a little bit of bread and a cup uh, to drink something from when we get to the Lord's Supper and share in that. But right now, uh, before Martin comes to lead us in prayer, we're going to say out loud what it is that we believe about God, his greatness and his love in this brilliant summary straight out of the letter of Colossians, uh, an abbreviated version of what it says in Colossians 1 verses 15 to 20. So please join me. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn above all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood. Amen. So Martin will lead us in prayer and following that we'll have the video news and then we'll sing again. Thanks, Martin. So friends, would you join with me in prayer as I lead us? Our Father in heaven, you are eternal, almighty, sovereign. We praise and thank you that through the death and resurrection of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we can, in the power of the Holy Spirit, call you Father and come to you as your loved children. Thank you for allowing us in prayer to join with you in fulfilling your purposes. In your mercy, hear our prayers. 
Lord God, you are the one who changes times and seasons, who raises up leaders and brings them down. We pray for our new Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, for our local member, Zali Stegall, and our new federal government. Grant that their conduct and decisions will cause truth and justice to flourish across our land and beyond. We praise you for the hundreds of students who attend special religious education classes each week at McKellar Girls, Manly Selective and Balgaula Boys, run by the teachers from our mission partner, Anchor RE. We pray that the students will find truth, hope and meaning in the Bible story of your great love for the world. We ask that the teachers may answer the many questions posed by students with wisdom and sensitivity. Heavenly Father, we rejoice at our that on our 5pm service later today, 11 of our young people will stand up in our confirmation service to confess their faith in Jesus. We pray for Sky Barham, Daniel and Alana Bott, Anna Curley, Shelley Galate, Kaylee Hurt, James Patterson, Oliver Petty, Charlie Smith, Peter Stain, and Evan Thorpe. We pray for each of them in their continuing walk with Jesus that they might know in a deep and meaningful way that they have you as their Father. Father, we uphold before you those from with our own eight o'clock congregation who have been regular attenders but are no longer able to come while in full-time nursing care or at home. Theodora Smith, Maureen Goldston Morris, Dennis De Rosario, Pam Collis, Robert and Ruth Ross, Liz Gillum, Norma Odlum, Jen and Russ Mattox, Basil and Edie South. We also pray for Pat Irving and others as they undergo further treatment for cancer. Thank you, Lord, for the care they receive from loving families and others that care for them. In their difficulty and isolation, would you be their ever-present comfort and strength? Let's now take a short time of quiet to pray for those who we know are suffering at this time. Father, we bring before you all of us who suffer from anxiety or depression, those for whom COVID continues to be a nightmare. We pray for those who work with and care for those who suffer in this way, where they all recognise that underneath are your everlasting arms. In your Son's name, Amen. And as we close our time of prayer, may we echo Paul when he wrote to the church at Philippi, Father, this is our prayer, that our love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that we may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Amen.
Well, hello and welcome to St. Matthews. It's great you've joined us as we continue to listen to God's Word in the Book of Romans. Uh, if it's your first time with us, or perhaps you'd just like to get in touch with us, uh, you can use one of these little cards that you'll find under the seats in front of you. Uh, just scan the QR code there and that'll take you to our online connect card. We'd particularly like to hear from you if there's anything we can help you with. You could also just call the office and you'll find the number on our website. Next Sunday, straight after each of our services, we're running The Scoop. It's for you if you are new or you're still feeling new at St Matthews. It's a chance to meet staff and others. Uh, one of the first things you'll see when you arrive is someone offering you a free scoop of Anita's gelato. It'll be fun and a great way to find out more about making St Matthews your home. So if you are new or you still feel new, come and join us right after the service next week for about 15 to 20 minutes. This year's Christian Care Seminar is coming up in the middle of June, June 15 and 16. Even good relationships have their difficult moments, which is why this year's seminar is about how to keep building healthy relationships here in our church community and beyond. We're calling it tough to love because there are some people we find hard to love. There's something about them which means we find ourselves withholding our love from them. We might do it quietly, just avoiding them, or maybe we get aggressive. We follow Jesus though, who says, love one another as I have loved you. So we wanna do better and we can do better because Jesus shows us what it means to deeply and sacrificially love people with all their frailties and perversities and sins, to love people like us. So how do you love people, even if it's really tough? Uh, Deb Benstead is leading the seminar. She's got years of pastoring in churches and also as a trainer with the PeaceWise movement, which helps people resolve everyday conflict. Uh, she'll share a hope-filled and practical approach for when things get tough for you, to equip you to play your part in building stronger, better relationships and a truly redeemed community here at St Matthews. There'll be plenty of time during the seminar for interaction and there'll be a Q&A at the end of the session. So the Christian Care Seminar is just uh, three Wednesday nights away, June the 15th, or three Thursday mornings away, June the 16th. Just come to one of them and see if you can bring your whole growth group with you. It'd be great to see you there. It's not at all weird watching myself giving the news. <laughs> Would you like to stand? We're going to sing. This will be our offertory hymn.
Well, good morning. Today's reading comes from the Gospel of, uh, sorry, comes from Romans chapter 3, and it's found on page 1,129 of your church Bibles there. And you at home, I hope you have your Bibles ready to read along with us. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 31. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus, to Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith, and he did this to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate this righteousness, his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where, then, is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? No, not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, good morning. Good morning, everyone. And uh, good morning to you guys at home. You definitely, definitely need to keep your Bibles open at Romans chapter 3 today because I'll be uh, referring to it throughout and that will be of assistance to you as well as to me. Right now, I'm going to pray and then we'll get underway. Heavenly Father, these are good words, good news. So help us to take them um, firstly into our minds so that we can take them deeply into our hearts and then live in love for Jesus with all that we have. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, uh, most of us like to be right, don't we? A very safe, uncontroversial thing to say. We like to be right. If you had the choice between being right or wrong about something, we would always choose to be right. We not only like to be right, it seems to me we like to be proved right as well, which is a lot easier these days with Google and smartphones. In the past, you could just make wild and ridiculous statements. I once had a friend try to convince me that cows have four hearts, one in each of their legs. And it sounds ridiculous, it is ridiculous, but you couldn't prove that he was wrong right there on the spot. These days, when you're having a discussion like that, uh, and it's usually late at night, you just punch it into Google, and there, cows don't have four hearts, one on each leg. They have four stomachs, or maybe four distinct chambers in their stomachs. Definitely not four hearts in their legs. We prefer to be right about such things. Of course, some people just must be right. They always want to be right. It's as if their existence depends on it. You know, you're at the zoo, you just make the fairly harmless comment that dolphins are likable creatures, and um, 
Mr. Has to be right pipes up and tells you that actually male dolphins can be quite vicious creatures and are known to keep smaller females as their slaves. And then 15 minutes later, you've heard everything there is possibly to know about dolphins because Mr. Has to be right. Just watch this documentary on the National Geographic channel. Thing is, you saw the same documentary on the National Geographic channel too. You're just saying they seem nice because the noise they make sounds like a happy noise. And it really does look like they're smiling, doesn't it? But Mr. Has to be right has drained all the joy out of dolphins, and now you don't know whether to just to move on to the seals, to stab the dolphins, you don't know what to do. Now, most of us know somebody in our life who has to be right. But what if there was a way to be right, not about trivial matters, but right with God? I mean, definitively, definitely. We've seen painfully over the past two weeks that rather than being right or mostly right with God, all of us, whether we're wildly debauched, morally upright, religiously devout, we're all in a perilous position before God naturally. And yet, or but now, to use verse 21, God has done something extraordinary, something connected to Jesus so that we can be definitively right with him. Now that's what we're thinking about today in this latest instalment in our series in the New Testament book of Romans, specifically from Romans chapter 3, verse 21 to 31, which Christian luminaries like Martin Luther have described as the most important paragraph ever written, the chief point and very central place of the whole Bible. So no pressure then as we think about how you and I can be right with God. Well, friends, the scriptures have a particular technical word for being right with God. It's the word righteousness. And so firstly, we need to understand what is this righteousness from God. Well, let's see it in our Bibles from verse 21. Let's read together. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Extraordinary statement. <clears throat> so for most of the past three chapters, which we've covered over the past two weeks, the Apostle Paul has established that we are all in trouble with God, universally in peril, without excuse. And you might remember those fairly depressing words from last week, chapter 3, verse 10. There's no one righteous, not even one, no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away and have together become worthless. There is no one who does good not even one, not even the Jews, the recipients of God's promises of old can be declared righteous, that is right with God on the basis of their adherence to their Old Testament law. They just can't. The Old Testament, what verse 21 describes as the law and the prophets point to this righteousness, and we'll see more about that next week. But as the Apostle Paul says in verse 20, no one is declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. The Old Testament, it's not a checklist you keep, it's a benchmark we fail. It leaves us silent, without defense. We've got nothing to say. Which is why there is such a, a wonderful and dramatic change in tone from verses 20 to 21. Because now a righteousness from God has been made known. It's accessible by faith in Christ, not by adherence to the Jewish laws, nor even an upright moral code. It's certainly not accessible via Google search. It's a righteousness from God through faith in Christ. But what does this righteousness actually mean? To understand it properly, you have to take your minds 
to the world of the law court, where there is a judge and there is a guilty person. God is the judge. Guess who the guilty person is? Well, it's you, isn't it? And me, all of us. But for those with faith in Christ, God the judge makes a legal declaration, a decision that we are innocent rather than guilty. Now, he is the judge. He gets to make that legal decision or declaration. And he's not blind or stupid. Like He doesn't actually think we are innocent rather than being guilty. But he nonetheless declares that we are righteous and decides to treat us as if we were innocent rather than guilty. We're going to find out how we can do that soon. But for now, you just need to understand that's what we're talking about. And this is how it sort of works for us. Because none of us are righteous by ourselves because we've all turned away. Each of us could be represented, I guess, as a circle filled with a whole lot of little minor signs to indicate our legal guilt. Now, whether or not we feel emotionally guilty, we're legally guilty because we've turned away from God. But because Jesus died for our sins, our sins have been forgiven, so it's like all those little minor signs are just wiped away, which is beautiful, isn't it? Amazing when you stop to think about it. But it's not enough, because it only takes us to a position of being neutral. We're neither truly good nor truly bad. But because of Jesus' life and death, when God declares us righteous, he doesn't leave us neutral. He decides to treat us as perfectly right or good, as innocent as Jesus was in his earthly life. So that we go not only from guilty to neutral, but from neutral to positive. So that our little circle goes from little minuses to neutral to pluses in one step. Not because we're naturally good people but because God the judge makes that decision or declaration for us. And that's why this announcement is so amazing. It's not just that people go from negative to nothing, but that God looks at us and treats us as if we've gone from negative to neutral to positive, making a legal declaration that we are righteous. Because when he looks at us, he treats us as if we were as positive and as pure as Jesus was. Friends, that is stunning. Do you not think that God might look at you and decide to treat you as pure and perfect and positive as the Lord Jesus Christ was in his earthly life? It's stunning. But that's the righteousness of God that comes by faith. Another word for it is justification. You see that later in the passage, but it means the same thing. God's legal declaration to treat us as if we were as pure and as perfect as Jesus was in his earthly life that we are anything but pure and perfect, so that we are acceptable to and are right with God. Wow. Now, if we are to take verse 22 as our template, our kind of pro forma, our sort of uh, stencil, this righteousness is given through faith in Christ to all who believe, then we need to discuss next how we might access this wonderful righteousness. That is, how do we avail ourselves of God's legal declaration that we are right with him because he treats us as if we were as pure and positive as Jesus was in his earthly life? Well, you look at that verse and you can clearly see that this righteousness, this extraordinary way of being right with God, is given through faith. It's available or accessed by putting our faith in Christ And it's particularly important to understand that means we bring nothing to the table. All we need is need. 
We must bring nothing. And in fact, if you think about it, given through faith is the perfect way to describe it because that shows us it's all a gift. Now, you don't earn a gift. You don't deserve a gift. You don't contribute to a gift. As soon as you try to chip in for a gift, it's no longer a gift, is it? So this means we don't somehow contribute moral performance or community spirit or church involvement or religious devotion. You don't slap any of those down on the table and say, there you go, God. Now, please give me the righteousness I deserve. Because, of course, we don't deserve it. That's why it's called a gift. As it turns out, relying on our moral performance, our community spirit, our church involvement, our religious devotion, turns out to be a pretty shaky thing to rely on. Because the Apostle Paul has already established that no one is truly God. And in the next verse, verse 23, he will say, there's no difference, doesn't matter where you come from, for we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that idea of falling short there, it invokes uh, the metaphor of the bow and arrow. I've got uh, an uncle in Queensland, a bit of a character. He used to race motorcycles. He's got Harley Davidson tattoos on his arms and legs, and he lives in a caravan on a property outside of Brisbane. The last time I saw him, I asked him what he'd been up to, and he just says, bow hunting. I'm like, bow hunting? Uh, and I just looked at him, hoping for further explanation. And he tells me that he goes out into the bush with his bow and his arrow to shoot wild pigs. Now, I know that wild pigs are quite hard to stop with a gun, let alone an arrow. And so he tells me about these arrows that just kind of, um, they sort of explode when they hit the animal and they bore like a two-inch hole right through the animal. And that's how you stop them. And I was just thinking, how is it possible that you and my mum who's a great lady, and you can have a laugh with her, but she's quite proper. How is it that you two are related? You cannot possibly have come from the same womb. But the Apostle Paul says, you know, our sin is like an arrow that, that's falling short of its target. It doesn't reach its target. It just doesn't measure up. And it seems to me it doesn't really matter if it's a centimetre short or a mile short, if there's a wild pig running at you, and it doesn't matter how far short we fall from the righteous requirements of God. Therefore, it only works if this righteousness of God is accessible by faith in Christ. Not by our full short offerings of moral performance or community spirit or religious devotion. But only by faith. Well, next... According to verse 22, you can see our kind of template verse there. This righteousness from God is given freely through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not given by our goodness because we're not. It's also not given by some kind of vague belief in God. It's a very specific faith or trust in the person and work of Jesus. And you see that in verses 24 and 25. So let's read them together. In fact, from verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. In fact, it says, we are justified, that is, we are declared right with God through the redemption 
that came by Christ Jesus. Now, our culture uses the word redemption um, sort of vaguely to mean something like, I've made up for a past mistake. I've redeemed my past errors, my past poor performance with better performance or better behavior. But Bible words have got Bible meanings and the Bible uses redemption in a technical sense. And to understand it, you have to travel back in your mind to the ancient slave market. So you can see a picture here of some slaves. Now, the basic concept of redemption involves the payment of a price to release someone from a form of slavery or captivity. So in the book of Exodus, Israel was redeemed from slavery in Egypt via the payment, the shedding of the blood of an unblemished lamb. Or slaves in the first century slave market were released from captivity by the payment of a ransom price or a bond. So when the New Testament says we have been redeemed, it's saying that we are released from our slavery to sin and death and judgment via the payment of the blood of Jesus in his death on the cross. His life was the ransom price that secured our release. And we place our trust firmly that Jesus' death has done just that. In fact, we trust that nothing other than Jesus' death can pay the ransom price to deliver us from our captivity to sin and judgment. So we are free from the penalty of sin and we are being freed from the power of sin over us in our lives and we will be freed even of the presence of sin in the life to come only because Jesus' death paid the price that sets us free. Now that's redemption. And yet the passage goes even further. Verse 25 says that God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement, sometimes called propitiation. And to understand this idea, you've got to travel back to the temple, maybe pagan temples, perhaps more properly the temple in Jerusalem in the Old Testament. And there, I didn't realise they had microphones back then, (laughs) really ahead of their time. Their unblemished animals were offered in sacrifice to God for sin and guilt. And so God's rightful, not his capricious, but his rightful wrath was poured out onto the animal in place of the human being who brought the sacrifice. And it was absorbed by the animal, which meant that God was no longer angry with the person. Their sin had been kind of covered over. The Apostle Paul says, On the cross, God poured out his rightful wrath that was meant for us upon Jesus instead. And Jesus absorbed the judgment that was due to us because of our sin, so that God is no longer angry with us. Our sin has been covered and God's rightful wrath has been satisfied. And so we are declared right. We access the righteousness from God when we put our faith in Jesus' death to do that, to absorb the rightful wrath of God. In fact, we trust nothing else. No penance, no past performance, no future moral improvement has the capacity to avert the just anger of God other than Jesus' sacrificial death. And so, this righteousness of God, in which God the judge declares us to be as perfect and positive as Jesus was in his earthly life and treats us accordingly, means we are right with him. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ because all that his death has accomplished. And then finally, It is given to all who believe. Whatever your background, 
whatever your backstory, whatever you have done, the righteousness of God that is being declared right with God is available through faith to all who believe. Now in the first century church there was a big divide between Jews and Gentiles and the Apostle Paul says it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. In the 21st century, whatever your background, whatever your backstory, whatever you have done, whatever's been done to you, it still doesn't matter. The good news of Jesus, it will challenge you. It will shape you and reshape you. It will change you sometimes in painful ways, or painfully at least. But it saves, justifies and declares righteous all who believe. And friends, that's why we think it is just such the best news ever. Now there are three important things this means for us. Three things at least. The justice of God is revealed. The anger of God is removed. And humble faith of humans is required. And I don't know if we, when we were thinking about this, you spotted a potential problem with all this righteousness stuff, this idea of being declared right by God or um, being justified. It's the same idea. I, w- I wonder if you spotted it. How can we be declared as righteous as Jesus was in his earthly life when everyone knows, I mean everyone knows, that we are just not? That we've in fact turned away from God. That we continue to be like those arrows falling short of his glory. How can it possibly work for God? In particular, how can God still be just if instead of judging our sin and unrighteousness, he treats us as righteous? Excellent question, my friends. Let's read verses 25 and 26. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who has faith in Jesus. So how does it work for God? How, how can it be just that unrighteous sinners of all descriptions and all colors, shapes and sizes can be considered righteous when we so clearly aren't? When I lived in uh, London many years ago now, uh, in a rented flat, we had these pretend floorboards that you bought from Ikea. No carpet, no vacuum cleaner. But we did have this massive rug in our main living area. And we had this Irish landlord. And he was a lovely bloke. But you seriously could not understand a word he'd said. You'd ask him to repeat himself, and you still couldn't understand him. You'd ask him to speak slowly, but it made no difference. And after that, every time he said anything, I just kind of smiled and said yes and hoped for the best. But when he would come over and look at his flat, all we could do was sweep the dirt from the floor under the rug. It was the only option available to us. Now, is that what God does with our sin? Does he just sort of sweep it under the rug? Is that how it works for him? Well, the answer is no, he doesn't sweep it under the rug. He doesn't kind of look the other way doesn't pretend that he didn't see our unrighteousness. In Jesus' death, he judges our sin. Instead of judging us for our sin, he judged Jesus for our sin. He doesn't set his justice aside. He sets it upon himself as Jesus voluntarily offered himself up on the cross so that our sins aren't swept away 
But God rightly punishes them upon his willing son. God does not need an independent commission against corruption. Perfectly just. Not only our sins, verse 25, even the sins committed by people of faith before the coming of Christ, he left them unpunished so that he could demonstrate his righteousness or his justice at the time of Jesus, punishing past, present and future sins when he punished the perfect one. So God is both just, he doesn't sweep sin under the rug, and he is the justifier, the one who declares us to be right with him if we trust in Christ. So in Jesus' death, the justice of God is revealed. Not only that, and perhaps this is even better for us, in Jesus' death, the anger of God is removed. God is no longer angry with us. What a thought. His anger has been turned away. God's punishment for our sin has been taken away, never to return again. Now, when you go fishing and you catch a fish that's a little too small to keep, by the way, they're the only kinds of fish I ever catch, ones that are a little too small to keep, do you know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to take the hook out, give it a kiss on the lips, toss it back in the water, and what does it do? It swims away, never to be seen again. Friends, you know God's anger and judgment at our sin and unrighteousness is like that fish that swims away, never to be seen again. When God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement and turned his anger away so that God is no longer angry with all those who trust in Jesus. God's judgment will not fall upon those who trust in Jesus, not now and not in the future. Christian people here this morning, can I say to you in the plainest, boldest, most beautiful terms, God is no longer angry with us because Jesus has taken all his wrath that we so deserved and it is never to be seen again. Instead, when he looks upon us, he treats us like Jesus, declaring us to be righteous, not in ourselves, but in Christ. And if that does not make us burst out of our skin with joy, and making strange, I don't know, happy dolphin-like noises. There's something amiss in our spirits, isn't there? Well, lastly for today, humble faith of humans is required. The justice of God is revealed, the anger of God is removed, and the humble faith of humans is required. It looks in uh, verses 27 to 31 that perhaps the Jewish Christians in the church there in Rome were boasting in their Jewish heritage. And Paul says to them in verse 27, there's no room for boasting. Silly. Not in yourselves. Not in your heritage. Not in anything you bring to the table. Faith is simply the attitude of coming to God with empty hands because all you need is need. Now that does require humility and it leaves no room for boasting. But if you want something to boast in, you boast in God to whom the whole world is accountable, but who is also the saviour of all who believe. Jew, Gentile, whatever, whoever. Boast in him if you're going to boast in anything, which is just another way of saying humble faith is required of us humans, for there are simply no grounds for boasting. Well, friends, we've had our 
heads in lots of thought pictures today, haven't we? The, the courtroom where God is judge, the slave market where Jesus' death pays the ransom price, the temple where Jesus' sacrifice absorbs the wrath of God, even the outback where our best deeds are like those arrows falling short. Each of them telling a, a part of the story that though we like to be right, as we were thinking about at the start, we cannot naturally be right with God. We cannot obtain righteousness on our own, but can only ever be given righteousness from God, being declared right with God, being treated as pure and perfect as Jesus was because of all that Jesus did in his life and especially in his death. This righteousness is available by faith in which we humbly trust that Jesus' death deals with our sin, demonstrates God's justice, and absorbs God's wrath. And it is available to everyone who believes. It is just, just so wonderful. And I beseech you to trust in him with all that you have, with all of your heart, and across all of your days. Well, let's give thanks to him now. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for this grand plan that you hatched by which his life and his death would accomplish all that it has that we might be declared right with you not on account of anything that we have done but on account of all that Jesus had done in his perfectly righteous life and then his sacrificial death that absorbed your wrath that paid the price to set us free from sin and judgment and death and forgive us for any time we have ever thought that we bring something to the table contributing to our own righteousness. Fill us with humble and joyful faith for there simply are no grounds for human boasting. We praise you, we love you, and we honour you for all that you have done for us in Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Friends, we're going to sing now by way of response and then share in the Lord's Supper, which is utterly fitting. So let's stand and sing.
seated and uh, while I'm getting ready uh, with the communion things you might like to take out your communion pack and uh, take the top off and just raise your hand if you don't have a communion pack. Well, friends the, the Lord's Supper is a, a simple ceremonial meal uh, that we use to recall the last meal that Jesus shared with his disciples and uh, he he used that meal to help them understand what was going to take place the very next day as he went to the cross. Uh, that was the place where he offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins so that we could be truly right with God. God's anger dealt with at the cross, his anger at us, so that we might rightly be called righteous as we put our trust in Jesus. So here's how the, the scriptures describe what happened that night. On the night uh, he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the meal, Jesus took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now in a moment, we're gonna to share together uh, by taking um, the little bit of bread and drinking from the cup. But before we do that, let's come humbly to God, confessing our sins, uh, the sins that have been so clearly uh, described and portrayed for us in the book of Romans, where we know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Please join me in this prayer of confession. Heavenly Father, you have loved us with an everlasting love, but we have often gone our own way and rejected your will for our lives. We are sorry for our sins and turn away from them. For the sake of your son who died for us, forgive us, cleanse us and change us. By your Holy Spirit, enable us to live for you and to please you in every way. For the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. And it's wonderful to know that we can be made right and have been made right in Christ. And so we pray for God's forgiveness, confident that it's already given to us in Christ. 
So friends, listen to uh, this declaration from the prayer book where it says, We thank you, our Father, that in your love and mercy you gave your only Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our salvation. By this offering of himself once and for all time, he made a full, perfect and sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the whole world and commanded us to continue a remembrance of his precious breath until his coming again. So we pray, hear us, merciful Father, grant that we who receive these gifts of your creation, this bread, this wine, according to our Saviour's command, in remembrance of his suffering and death, may be partakers of his body and blood. So friends, let's take the bread now and let's eat it in remembrance that Christ died for us and feed on him in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Let's take these little cups and as we drink, let's remember that Christ's blood was shed for us and be thankful. And shall we pray this prayer of thanksgiving and dedication. Father of all, we give you thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you met us in your son and brought us home. Dying and living, he declared your love, gave us grace and opened the gate of glory. May we who share Christ's body live his risen life. We who drink his cup bring life to others. We whom the spirit lights give light to the world. Keep us in this hope that we have grasped so we and all your children shall be free and the whole earth live to praise your name. Amen. Would you like to stand as we um, entrust one another uh, to God's care before we head out to um, morning tea across the courtyard? If you're a guest, please come and join us. We'd love, love to meet you across there. And I will just let you know a special treat uh, coming next week is we are introducing the scoop for the first time at eight o'clock church but it won't just be for guests uh, this first time we do it everyone gets a free scoop of anita's gelato so i'm sure everyone will be at morning tea next week <laughs> shall we shall we entrust one another to god's care the grace of our lord jesus christ and the love of god and the fellowship of the holy spirit be with us all evermore amen amen